Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we've got another great show in our spirituality series. Linda, all of our shows are great shows. Oh, you bet. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. They have done a world of good for me. So if I'm any judge of of our audience, you know, I I think that they're very healing, and healing is a very good word. Healing is a great word. I think... um, you know, one of the things that happens when we embark on our spiritual journeys, and that may happen in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or in my dad's case, almost 90s, um, it's it's the right time when it's your time. And if you're listening today, it's because it is your time. And I found, Linda, you know, I read a lot of scholarly books about spirituality and, and religion and things in college. And then, you know, after I would always pick things up, but really, they kind of bounced off my brain like rubber balls. And it's only until recently that a lot of this stuff is starting to make sense to me. And I don't think you can force a spiritual journey. No, and I think it's experiential. I mean, you can read and read and read, but you have to feel it. You have to even notice how your how you feel, how your body feels when you are either reading uh, something that really resonates with you, or you're listening to a tape that really resonates with you. I know for me, it really just calms me down. And when something just calms me down, I I know I'm in the right place. See, and for me to know I'm in the right place, I have to understand it. I don't have to truly fully understand it because I think a lot of what this spirituality or when it comes to God and faith, you know, you just have to, you know, go to faith or, or, you know, make a choice at some point. But if it, if it, like a lot of times I don't understand the terms and it sounds so silly. You know, we have a guest today, Mitra Rabar, who wrote the book Miraculous Science. And, you know, it's a, a journey of illumination and healing through prayer. And I really sat down, Linda, when I looked at her book going, you know, what is prayer? Because, you know, recently I was in in church, I go to a really nice church in Valencia out here in California, very progressive. And um, the pastor said, you know, we're going to we're going to sing today. We're going to sing our prayers. And it never occurred to me, raised a Catholic, you know, going to church for 40 some odd years, Linda, that that a song was a form of prayer. I really didn't get that. And when I read Mitra's introduction, she talked about the Native Americans. And, you know, I used to have a place out in Flagstaff, a weekend place. And we used to pop over to the Grand Canyon, the kids and I, and hike and have a lot of fun. And sometimes, you know, the Native Americans would be there doing their dances and stuff. And I would sit there, enjoy it, dig it, you know, like the music, like the drums. But I never really thought of it as a form of prayer. And for music and dance, 
to be considered a form of prayer was really eye-opening to me, somebody who sat in church for 40 years. Yeah, no, and chanting, I mean, you know, with the Buddhist, ch- chanting is, 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 is another form of prayer. I, you know, I'm really thinking anything that puts you in this lovely place and opens up your heart is, is a prayer. I mean, I don't think it has to be that closely defined. I think it, you know, it, it's something that, and everybody's different, so whatever works for you is a good thing. Well, I'm so glad you said that because you use this word open heart. For the last three years, Linda, publishers have been sending me books, you know, and I'm sure it's the universe sending me a message, but, you know, have an open heart. Open your heart. How to open your heart. You know, clear out your chakras. Open your heart. Even in yoga this morning, Kathy, you know, my Inigar yoga teacher is like, Sandra, she's like, now breathe and open your heart. And I'm like, crap, if I know how to do that. Like, if you could give me a can open or maybe I could open my heart. But it's like one of those terms that everybody says that you don't get till you get. Right. And, you know, and I'm certainly not one because I'm not an expert in this area. And I believe that in a lot of areas, my heart is still closed, but in some ways it is opening. And we talked about it last week um, when I was with my dog, because it's it's such unconditional love that when I look into her eyes, I can just feel, I can viscerally feel my heart opening because she's just so wonderful. You know, she's just such a loving, sweet little thing. Um, that's, you know, that that's meant a lot to me because she's helped crank, crank it open. And, it, you know, and I don't think it matters what it is. And, it, you know, and it's not always, it's just on those occasions. But when you feel that, oh, my God, you know, you know, heaven on earth, I think that is, that is an indication that your heart has opened for that moment. And I think, I mean, that's, I think it's beautiful. See, you're so spiritual. I'm so literal. I was laying on the mat in yoga trying to breathe my ribs open farther. Like, you know, <laughs> I truly was. I was like, oh, I can feel my ribs and my armpits expanding. And I'm like, ooh, my heart is opening. And, you know, but then I, you know, I do get caught in the minutia. I am a person who somebody has to say, okay, to open your heart. Like one of the things Mitra does in her book that I really like is it's kind of like the user stupid prayer book. You know, here are your mantras. Here's your positive visualization. You want to use stones or candle, you know, this is how you do it. Because some of us need a little more help, Linda. Well, than- but, but, you know, so I say this with my dog. Here you have two beautiful boys that are just wonderful children. And when you sometimes look into their eyes or they come and give you a hug and say, I love you, Mom, doesn't it, don't you feel that, that opening that, oh, you know, this is, this is the best thing I've ever experienced. Do you? Do you I'm not putting words into I mean... It- no, like, I see, that's the thing. I don't know what I'm supposed to look at because I feel all sorts of things like, you know, whether I'm playing with my dogs and I feel joyful or, you know, like at night when I put my kids to bed and they're finally quiet and not fighting, you know, I love them even more. Yeah, but, but, I, but you said a good word, joyful. I mean, I think it's just a feeling. I don't think you have to really examine it that closely, you know, and if even if it lasts 10 seconds, that's it. You yeah, know that—that's it. We're um, so different because I've feeling. got a. 
I've got to identify it. Like I'm the scientist. I got to have a label on it. I got to know if what I'm feeling is right. Cause it's like crazy. Like, you know, do crazy people wonder if they're crazy? Do heart open people wonder if their heart is open? And if it is open, is it open enough? Can I open more? I mean, I, this is, I drive myself nuts. No, well, I don't examine it. And as I said, um, you know, my, my heart isn't open enough, but, um, I'll take, uh, whatever, you know, I'll take that thing with, with my dog, Lucy. That's, 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 that's better than it was before. That's a very good thing. You know, and it, for as long as it, you know, it, it lasts and, 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 you know, then you keep looking for other things that will give you that same feeling. And I, and I don't think it's not a head thing. It's, it's a, it's just, it's just letting your head, it's just, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. I, I mean, that's the way I look at it anyway. That's my experience. Well, and you're a better feeler than I am. I mean, you know, you're always talking me out of my head. I mean, truly. I mean, as long as we've been friends and, and as valuable a person as you've been to me in so many areas, and this one too, you know, I just kind of trust on faith going, okay, this is the, you know, the feeling that I have. But it's it's a, for somebody like me who's very analytical and very technical and, you know, God, I run a technology company. I want to at least have some empirical proof that like my heart is opening more than did yesterday and I know there's no grades or a pluses for heart open but whenever I hear that term heart open I worry and that's that's kind of counterproductive to the yeah, whole heart open it thing. is I mean when you've had experiences where you felt your mom was with you and God they and she is like yeah I think we have people around us all the time that that have passed on um doesn't that feel good um or do you have to examine it? Or do you have to, you know, yes, I'm I not have, sure you have to examine it. I have to put it through my check. You know, I got to check it with my head, check it with my heart, check it with my gut, think about <laughs> it, and then, like, accept it or not accept it. And, you know, it's... And maybe it's a trust thing. I don't know. And that's why I'm so excited um, to bring on. I'm going to bring on Mitra because I really want to ask her this question about heart open. How do we know when our heart is open? And, you know, is it ever open enough? Uh, Mitra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I've just so much enjoyed um, listening to you both. Um, very, very interesting. But thank you so much for having me on. I am uh I am thrilled to be on and uh, talking about the book and talking about whatever questions that may come up. Um, uh, you know, I can just tell you in the few minutes I got to listen, um, Sandra, you are a seeker, and the seeker always has their heart open. So actually, um, you looking for your heart to open. Your heart is already open because you're seeking. You have a quest, and your quest is the journey. And that, to me, is allowing whatever occurs to occur or whatever needs to occur to uh, break through. And uh, so I think you are examining something that already is. I think what has happened has already happened. I can even tell in uh, the resonance of your voice. There's a lot of warmth to your voice. There's a lot of... A deep yearning to your voice, and that's like the that's like the mystic, like what we think of as the mystic, the person who sits in, uh, you know, reverence for God or the beloved, whatever you want to call that. That there's a yearning in the voice. There's a yearning for more and more, 
and you have that yearning. So I don't know what you label as open heart, but uh, one of the things for open heart is to seek, and you are a seeker just by you being open and reading and wanting more and seeing it, you know. uh, And, you know, the head and the heart are interesting. The wisdom of the head is in the heart. Mitra, I'm going to have to cut you off. I'm sorry to take you to commercial break. I wanted to give people a taste of what's coming up. You are not going to want to miss this in-depth interview with Mitra Rabar. She's going to talk more about her book, about being heart open. And I already love her with this. I'm a seeker. And we're going to seek more when we come back from the break. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is Uncommon Sense for Leaders, a forum for exploring leadership from the intellect, the heart, and the spirit. Whether you're a leader now or aspire to be a leader in the future, you owe it to yourself to learn about the big ideas that have shaped the careers of compelling communicators, masters of influence, and highly effective leaders. Uncommon Sense for Leaders. Tune in to hear thought-provoking ideas on every aspect of leadership. You can expect dynamic discussions with special guests, quick tips you can apply immediately for better results, and the tools you need to take you from where you are to where you want to be as a leader. Are you ready to crack the code for achieving unprecedented results? Then join the host for Uncommon Sense for Leaders, Catherine Carlisi, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the All Business Radio Network. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 Central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm Free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are visiting today with Mitra Rabar. Now, Mitra's book is really cool. You know, Linda, every time I get a new book from a publisher, I have to touch it. Like, I have to touch the cover. And this one, for those of you who love books, this is a really yummy book because it's got cool paper on the inside, and the cover is just, you feel good. Like, you know, I get I get probably 100 books a week, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing the radio shows, Linda, and this one is one of those ones that oh this is a keeper this is not only words but it's a work of art too 
Well, that's because you're a seeker, Sandra. <laughs> I am. I am. I want to hear more about that. Before we went to commercial break, um, uh, Mitra, you talked about uh, me being a seeker. And can we talk a little bit of, more about what a seeker is? And then what about our non-seekers? Oh, you know, I think um, deep, deep, deep down, all of us are seekers in a way. Um, so when people tell me that they're not seekers at all or they're not interested in anything in the metaphysical world, I really, to be honest, I don't really believe it. I think deep, deep down where there's that part of us that is so sacred to us and so quiet to us, I think deep there in the breath is the seeker. Now, some people more they seek, and it's more uh, we can hear it more. Like you are asking, you are que- you have a quest, you you are going to yoga, you are reading the books, you're trying to find, you're trying to unravel yourself, and the seeker creates the unraveling process. It's quite, it's constantly searching for unraveling, so it gets to that really beautiful, precious part of the soul, the core, and. You know, no, it's like having a, a huge uh, roads, but we don't know which road is going to take us to that destination. But always the destination is this is the same. It's always the core of the soul, and ultimately being with a higher, the higher being, whether you call that God or Source or Nature or Energy. That's up to you. There's you know no uh, judgments here. And that is very personal to each person. But this is what I think a core thing is. A lot of people think that the heart and the head are separate, but they're not. Because when our heart really understands something, it transfers that to the head, and the heart and head work in harmony. And that's where really the truth lies. Um, the, The wisdom of the head is in the heart. And this is a very, very old, old uh, teachings from, you know, Sanskrit and Hindu philosophies that it's really the harmonizing of the both. That's where the truth is. You know, whether you call it my gut reaction or I thought or I feel, there is a resonance that happens in your body, whether it's in your brain or in your heart. And that resonance, that's where you got to look at. That's where something is trying to break open through you. Now, you may be a reader. You may be more of an analytical person. So maybe for you is reading books, or maybe for you is understanding uh, the nature of things, such as nature, to better understand your place in the sphere of being. And for some people who are not as analytical, there is a, just an acceptance as, of what is. Um, and they just accept that, or they seek it more. But to me, it's all um, its all in a way the same. The fact that you have this radio show, the fact that you have a person on like me, the fact that you have a friend like Linda tells me you have allowed this energy to be open in your life. To me, that's an open heart. Oh, I have such relief. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean I've you know Sandra I I've been on this journey of of trying to you know discover what I am and what I'm here for since I was 29 years old and that's quite a few years ago but it's it's like it's like the it's like peeling back an onion you just keep 
it's layered and layered and layered and layered. And what I thought I knew at 29 um, was just, it was just like a little speck. And then, you know, and not that I know that much now, but the more I read, the more I meditate, the more I hear stories and, and have these wonderful guests on, you know, it just becomes clearer to me. And one thing it's doing for me is it's taking away a lot of my fear of of what happens after we're not here anymore and of people dying or it, it, it that is like um a gift to me that I'm really not afraid any uh afraid anymore or let's say less afraid than I ever was before because it makes sense to me now yeah and you know I'm so happy you use the analogy of the onion I use the an onion I take with me every part of the world and when I give a talk, I use the analogy of the onion. And I say, as you peel an onion, you cry, right? The onion makes you, tears come to your eyes. And in every teardrop, there is a wisdom gained. So in every layer that you go through life, a parent dies. There goes a layer of the onion. As you cry, you've learned something about the cycle of death and life. You go through a breakup. Your dog dies. You, you know, Learning to live life and the wisdom of living itself gives us a maturity that we understand the brilliance of the onion is at the core and all these layers that have piled up on us are just heavy layers that we need to peel off. Now, whether we peel them off at 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever age, the fact is when we peel them, it will be like what Dr. Scott Peck said, the road less traveled. Once we go through this journey, we will always choose this journey because it is the most fulfilling journey. You know, um, I had a, um, I have a uh, workshops I do in the Middle East, and I was teaching at a training facility for women who are uh, either runaway brides or on the street, and they're very young women, 15 to 25. And a woman was telling me that she was very, very confident, she said she was. But she was like so uh, t- much talking about it, I knew it was just the opposite. I knew it was her ego talking. And after a while, she raised her hand and she says, you know, is it okay, Mitra, if I never want to get married? Is it okay if I never want to have children? I said, yes, it's completely okay. We each have our own tapestry in life. Then she raised her hand again and she said, well, is it okay um, that I get anxious? I said, yes. You don't always have to be happy. You don't, we don't always have to be happy. She goes, but how do I, how do I know that I am deserving to be happy? Mm-hmm. And that was the bottom line. That's what she wanted to ask me all along, deserving to be happy. And I told her about a mantra, and I said, just telling yourself, I am worthy. And she left, and she came back a few days ago running to the class. She says, you know what? I've been doing that mantra on the bus. I am worthy. And I'm starting to understand, I am, right? I am worthy. (laughs) So this was really interesting. Three words, I am worthy. But what she had mentioned was, you know, a few things. First of all, we don't need to be happy all the time. It's really okay to not be happy. It's okay if you ask me, Mitra, how are you doing today for me to say, I'm not okay, you know, Linda or Sandra, I'm not feeling good. It's okay because by being human, I'm going to go through various human emotions. And the second thing is when the ego goes away comes the vulnerability 
And that's the biggest strength is to show vulnerability. Mm -hmm. To say, okay, I don't know much, but am I worthy of having or wanting the things that I want to have? And I think that is so much key to, quote, opening our heart, to realizing that, no, I am worthy. I am worth this of love, of good things, of positive things, and that I don't know much. And every step I take, I will probably learn more because I'm not going to take a step back. I'm taking a step towards the final destination, you know? So I think those are key things. Mitra, why do you think that so many people, like, don't feel worthy? Why, why do we always go to that place? We could do 50 things that are wonderful, <clears throat> And then we can make one mistake, and that's what we constantly beat ourselves up about is that one mistake and completely forget the 50 good things that we've done so we're not worthy. Yeah, I think it comes from a couple things. I think, in first of all, we live in a competitive world. It's become much more competitive than two, 300 years ago was. So there is that competition factor. We see so much through our Internet, through our TV, of these images that look perfect, but they're not perfect, of women who look perfect, men who look perfect, and they're not, but we think it's coming through and it's resonating again in our head. We get the information through our head. Also, it's the fact that somewhere along in our life, you know, our parents, they do their best that they can, but it's wanting to be the nurturing parent, not to be the harsh judge with ourselves. And that's one thing we don't learn. We don't learn that we should take out I can't and you can't and you shouldn't and you wouldn't and replace that with you can and you should and you would and you're worthy. It's a talking to ourselves that people around us have talked to us in a way many times that you know, all this perfectionist syndrome uh, that especially is so prevalent in the Western world and industrial societies, uh, uh, getting everything perfect, you know, being of a certain age, getting married, having children at a certain age, having a career at a certain age, all these things at a certain age. And if we don't, if we fall short, being a certain weight and a certain whatever, then we feel we fall short. There's something wrong with us where the truth of the matter is we have created those things and those are myths. None of them are true. And there is no age to happiness and there's no age to self-worth. It's ageless. Mitra, I need to take us to commercial break, but I want to tell everybody um, we're halfway through the show where they can buy your book. We can, I'm, I think you can pretty much buy it wherever books are sold. The book is Miraculous Silence, and Mitra's name is spelled Mitra, M-I-T-R-A, Rabar, R-A-H-B-A-R. Um, the book is put out by Tarcher, and it's a beautiful book. It also, I think, would make an exceptional gift, and I want you guys to know no payment was received to promote this book. It just totally digs. Um, this would be a great book for any of your girlfriends going through a divorce, losing parents, uh, losing their children, losing their dog. You know, anybody going through life change can really benefit from this book. And I don't care what country you're from or what religion you follow. When we come back from the break, we're going to visit more with Mitra Rabar and her book, Miraculous Silence. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. 
If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can with Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Mondays at noon central, Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Doginet.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin. And for those of you that missed the first half of the show or are just picking us up, you can find this show and more like it on iTunes. All you have to do is go to Powered Up Talk Radio. You can go to PoweredUpTalkRadio.com, or you can go to our host station, Toginet, T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com, for this show and many other spiritual shows like it. Linda, we're cranking out. I think we're close to 100 shows between you and I with Powered Up. Not all of them spiritual, but um Definitely the last two seasons following a spiritual bent. No, that's wonderful. I mean, we, we could only be helping people, and, that, and that's a great feeling to, to bring some peace to, to someone. And you never know who you're going to reach, so it, it, it just feels good. It does feel good. And, you know, I have a question for Mitra because I want to show her how I used her book and, and ask her, like, what like like what to do next. And, you know, we've beat the dead horse with forgiveness. I know we've done a lot of forgiveness shows. But one of the things that I really struggle with, um, Mitra, I'm in a very high-conflict divorce relationship with small children. So there's a lot of offenses that happen, and I'm a really sensitive person, so I get my feelings hurt. I I work through forgiveness and I, I, I get that forgiveness is about yourself, not the other person, but sometimes you're in a relationship that you can't get away from, like, you know, your spouses, ex-spouses, you know, being the parent of your kids. And I find myself having to go to this re-forgiveness state, like, you know, as you co-parent for years, you know, things come up and, you know, I try to work with your forgiveness, but... Like, 
you even say in your book, like heal, release, and finally forgive. How do you finally forgive when it keeps going on? You know, like it's easy to forgive someone you never see again, but when you have to deal with them and it's kind of the same thing over and over and I have to find myself going back to the same forgiveness thing. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for people like me? Because I can't be the only one struggling with this. Yeah, I I understand that. And, you know, there is a prayer in the book, which is about acceptance. Oh, I didn't think to go that one. So I think when a situation keeps occurring, you know, after, you know, right after, keeps occurring and of course every time it hurts us and it comes sometimes that we can't walk away from it there's two things there's acceptance and forgiveness and acceptance is that some situations will not change they that person has to change it has to change on its own accord we can't do anything about it we have to release it meaning saying we won't we understand it we accept it but releasing it not letting it upset our equilibrium, and at the same time then forgiving it. So I think it's acceptance, and it's about forgiveness. I think it's both of those things. Um, Because some situations, you know, it just becomes, uh, it's like an Achilles heel. It's like a cross to bear. And we have to bear it, but maybe bear it with more grace, uh, gracefully as we come to an acceptance of it. Well, and I think that's really important with families. You know, I have, um, I have, uh, my, my Middle Eastern friends, my best, very close Middle Eastern friends chose to marry each other despite both of their long history of families not liking each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they talk about this. We've talked about this and I, I, we've never talked about acceptance as part of forgiveness. And when you have family members deeply rooted in family history that don't get along, you can't go to any party event without it coming up. Yeah. Yeah. It's acceptance and it's, you know, it's acceptance goes many layers. Sometimes it's acceptance of a person. Sometimes it's acceptance of the hand that life gave you. Like, I will tell my my own story here. I was very young when I came to the States, 16, 17. I did not want to come. I was a forced immigrant. I wanted to stay back home, but I went to an American school, so my parents said, no, go to the United States for one month. And I was one of those very, very, very few people who walked in the visa office and literally got a visa. There was maybe three others like me out of 400 people. So when they sent me to the U.S., and um, every time I wanted to come back, they would say, no, you stay there, you stay there. I built resentment towards the universe and towards what had happened to me because I had been taken away from my family. Although my family sent me, I had been taken away from my school. I had been, as a junior, going into my senior year, been in that school 11 years. I'd been taken away from so much. And it took me many years to accept and forgive the universe, not just the people, like my parents who had made this choice, but the universe. You know, and I think that's also another thing when people are listening. Yes, there's the acceptance of the situation which involves people, but then there's an acceptance that the universe brings at your door. You know, a person who gets in a car accident, a person who's forced to be away from their family, a war-torn country, it becomes, you know, you don't have that one person. You have just what's the hand that life has dealt you with. So... And that is unfair. You know, it is unfair. I think life has so many unfairnesses or sometimes people hurt you whether they're not meaning to. And that's where acceptance, I don't think we've ever done an acceptance show, Linda, have we? 
I don't think so, um, and I, I'm listening very carefully. And I'm also thinking that um, when I when things happen that you know that you don't particularly like or that you don't feel like you have any control over, the way I'm thinking now is that it's my soul's journey. I have to go through this to come out the other end to learn something exactly. new. Wonderful, yeah. It, it, that's completely true. We have, you know, we would not be who we are, each one of us, if we had not gone through what we had gone through. And in every experience, there is a, the learning experience. Um, sometimes hard, sometimes maybe yeah. very difficult for the soul, but it happens to some people. Um, and over there is just by, you know, being able to not hold on to it as an anger, but to turn it around and make that a part of your, the richness you have. Like right now, you know, after 33 years, I'll, I think of my life and I'll think of, wow, it, I went through a lot of these pains of separation and different problems that I had as a young immigrant, but now I think of the richness that I have. I've you know, not only have the Middle Eastern culture, but now I know the American culture. I have friends there. I have friends here. Now I see the richness. But it took me time to walk through it and to learn from it and to get to this place. It doesn't take a day or two or sometimes a year or two. It's a journey of steps. Mitra, when did you first sort of delve into your your spirituality um, and realize that w- there was more to you than you thought originally? I mean, well, when a- I was very young, um, very young, uh, I, first of all, I'm a born intuitive. Um, so I had tremendous gifts of intuition by the time I was 11 years of age. But it was at the age of nine that I. Uh, chose to volunteer at orphanages in Iran. I wanted to do that. And um, I just found that the most fascinating part of my week. I loved it. So when I was very young, I always had a love for service. And um, when I was, I have this in the book in my preface, when I was three or four, I asked my mom that, uh, Mom, does the same God make all these people? And my mom says, yes, that the same God makes everyone on earth. And I said, then we're supposed to all love each other for we're all children of God. Um, I never learned faith. I was one of the people that, very blessed in that way, I always just knew it. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn it from anyone. Um, I had, my mom uh, had a, very much the roomy mentality. Her, her father, my grandfather, was a high, high Sufi man a very high Sufi man, uh, dedicated his whole life to service and people. And uh, I think that was part of a little bit my upbringing. Um, So I came with that mentality of, you know, and I was raised with these beautiful prose of Rumi and Hafez because my mom is a classical poet. So I was kind of raised with certain elements, but the rest of the loving of service and my spiritual faith is something that just was born with me. But as I grew older and became a social worker, and then I did so many intuitive uh, sessions and then became a spiritual teacher, it grew, it grew and grew. And I dedicated a lot of my 
hours during the day to this. As a young woman, I, well, you know, when I would go out, I would always be home at 11. I said, I have a date with God. All my friends would laugh. And I would come home and I'd do an hour and a half or two of my meditation and prayer and mantras. And I loved it. And I loved it. And I had so much baggage with me, Linda, to be honest with you. I had so much stuff with me mm-hmm. that was very heavy. And that was the only way I could unravel myself is because I was far from so much I knew. So I had, that was the only choice upon me or to allow myself to get worse. And I had developed a phobia disorder. I had developed anxiety. And I chose to really five to seven years just dedicate time to me. And I did. And I did. And I taught about it while I was doing it. I was a teacher. I was teaching. I was telling them all that I'm going through, because that's what makes you authentic as a teacher. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what they resonate with is is, yeah. is your transparency and and your story, because everyone can relate to, to part of your story. Yes. Yes. And, you know, anxiety or, or being upset or being resentful is part of many people's life. And when I was processing it and I was I – was, Delayering, taking the layers, I came, I came, and then I came to that other part. I got to the other side. And that was, Linda, I, I will tell you, it's priceless to me, priceless to me, yeah. priceless to me. I would not change that for the everything in the world because forever, as long as I'm here on this earth, no matter what I go through, one thing that is steady is that's anchored me is that I do know. I shall rise again. No matter how much I fall, I shall rise again because I have faith Mm -hmm. and I have a belief in the human spirit and that we do find our healing. No matter how broken we feel, we do find it. And there is nothing that is, everything is a blessing. The things we don't have is a blessing that we don't have them. The hardships are a blessing because they make us better. And every challenge is an opportunity for growth and evolving. It's very hard when it happens to you. If, um, if it happens to me, like my father died, I wasn't able to see him. It mm-hmm. really hurt me. I wasn't able to go back and I wasn't able to see him. Mitra, really we've got to go to commercial break. We'll be yes. back with Mitra Rabar of Miraculous Science, um, Silence. More after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Super Bowl will air in 180 countries, and with that infamous coin toss for one day, most people will toss out their New Year's resolutions to lose weight. The Super Bowl accounts for 7% of an entire year of chicken wing sales. 48 million Americans will opt for having food delivered, with pizza franchises seeing their sales double on game day. Domino's alone looks forward to selling over 11 million pizzas on Super Bowl Sunday. What's a word for food that contains unknown ingredients? Akampucky. 
Americans will eat over 100 million pounds of guacamole and 8 million pounds of tortilla chips on game day. What's a word for those folks who call in sick the morning after a little too much indulgence? Arfarfanoffs. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. LinkedIn. It's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show, Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are visiting today with Mitra Rabar. She wrote a book called Miraculous Science. Oh, Silence. Sorry, I'm on my scientific head. Miraculous Silence, A Journey to Illumination and Healing Through Prayer. Now, I want to talk, um, girls, this segment about prayer, because prayer to me, like, and again, it gets confusing in my head, like, you know, what is prayer? Because as a little girl, I was raised Catholic, so I can you know, I can pray in Latin and I can pray in, and, um, you know, know my prayers. And then I married a Jewish man. So I, you know, can barakatoy adonoi with the best of them. So (laughs) (laughs) there's some prayers there. And, you know, I think of like my favorite song, Silent Night, you know, my kid sang that to me in German for my Christmas present this year, Mitra. And it all felt like prayer. But then when you talk about going to that open, empty space, um, I get confused. So can we talk about... Prayer prayer comes in different forms. There's so many prayers. What you just said, all of it, all of that is prayer. All of that is prayer. It's like songs come in different ways. There are hymns, there's chants, there's operatic, there's arias, there's everything. And then there's that prayer where you're just sitting and you're being... And you're connecting to something much higher than yourself. And then there's prayers that have words. There are prayers that are silent. There are prayers. It's just, I think, about the allowance of being with yourself and with something that is much greater than us. I think that is prayer. Uh, How you get there, I don't think is important as much as just to allow it to get there. What does, and this is Sandra, I have one more with this, because I, you know, I'm really studying your stuff. I'm really, you know, I dig it and I want to use it. And I, you know, it's funny because I just read a whole book about, and if I sound it wrong, it's awful, the Ho'oponopono. I just read a whole book on that. And I think of like just the sound like Ho'oponopono. And because you're a voice person and you included mantras or chants in here, um, 
that letter M just keeps coming up. It's like, I know it's not in a Ho'oponopono, but oh, money, money, pod, me, whom, that mm, mm, yeah. Does that do something? Like, because I know, like, you think of the gong, you know, it's like, oh, you know, and when I go to yoga, we end with three ohms. Like, mm-hmm. what does the, that the, do? The M, uh, the M resonance in ancient numerology, the study of numbers. M is the number of karma. Um, um is the um, the m sound is the karmic energy the life force of what was before us and us now so it's a very important um kind of um, it's got an important texture and in doing it whether it's om it's the attachment detachment from all that was and all there is om mani padme hum it's understanding again the realm of being the m sound again all that was and all there is and being compassionate towards it so i go i base it on ancient numerology because all these num- these words and vowels and letters all have a number resonance to them and there's a reason like ah when we say ah ah is this is the sound of the self which can sometimes be the ego like we say aha aha yeah aha aha you know, it's the it's the I, it's the I, it's the me, it's the me. Just like we have, like in different traditions, we have ba, pa, you know, as the father, ma for the mother. Each one of them have a different resonance, and when you study their numbers, if someone wants to do that, they will understand why. Like if you add ma and pa together, you get ah. So it's the mother, father, then you get the I. Um, so it's all very interesting. <laughs> and how would you look that up? Like that, to- I totally, uh, I, you know, I have well, that's, now. Well, that's have the one that, would, like, uh, you know, I've known numerology for 25 years, and I've studied it, like, ancient way of studying it. So if someone has to be really, really into the study of numerology to know that. To know, like, numerology and sound. Because that's and to sound. a very yeah. interesting Not only numerology, but numerology and sound, numerology and mantras, you know. Neurology, sound, and mantras. Because I'm writing this down. I will Google it and I'll read it. And I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the modern numerologist may not know that. It may require someone who's a little bit, uh, you know, knows a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper. goes a little deeper. Sure, sure. And more ancient text, ancient, you know, like I I get that part. But I think it's fascinating to to take sound plus numbers because I'm a real numbers girl. I see numbers and leaves. I see, you know, patterns everywhere (laughs) I go. And they're always numerical patterns, even though I'm terrible at math. Um, Yeah. And I just thought, you know, when I was looking, when I read your book, because I did read a lot of the prayers, I did read a lot of the things, and I kept seeing certain sound patterns come up again and again. And I'm like, well, this is Sanskrit, but this isn't. And then I'm like, you know, what's going on here? There's got to be something more universal that I'm missing. Yeah, it's it's the, the it's the, a lot of the mantras I chose. I mean, there's so many mantras, and it's so hard to choose mantras from so many mantras, you know, but um, I, I, I kind of, um, I see how they resonate, and I go with their higher definition to me, and again, a lot of the mantras are so layered, so like, uh, for example, we have the uh, mantra, nam myoho renge kyo, this is a very beautiful mantra, but it also evokes energy, 
You know, it also brings confidence. It also, you know, connects you. It's, it's multi-layered. Um, so that's why when you read the book, I use different mantras for different passages, and their meanings a little bit shift. You know, it's really funny because, you know, I, I've been doing trans, uh, transcendental meditation for many years off and on, and I'm glad to say that I'm back on the on track again. But when I, when I went, when the Maharishi <laughs> came to New York back in, I guess, the late 70s, I went there, and, and, you know, they assign you a mantra, and it's very, it's very special, very holy, and they say, don't tell anybody your mantra. Yes. because. Yes. And then, you know, and I came home, and I was all excited, and I went into my bedroom to do my, <laughs> to do my meditation, and I couldn't remember my mantra. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. So that it, was like it was devastating. I said, "Oh, what am I going to do?" And it was like, "Oh my goodness!" That was like uh, that was like the worst thing that ever happened. But the way you see, I'm very simple. I, I'm my brain and Sandra's brain are very very different. Anything that resonates with me, whether it's my mantra or something that I make up, and it's funny because one of our guests on another show uh, told me something. Uh, when you want to calm down and just sort of blank out, put your right thumb in your left palm, and yeah. it, it evokes quiet. And I, I'm now doing that. I'm not even conscious that it's I'm doing true. it, and I'm doing it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true. That's a very good, actually, that's a very good thing you said, because people will utilize that, and that's really good. Also, what, what I um, utilize... Do you know why? It, yes. Could you tell me why it, it, it's well, so it's a, common? Well, it's a specific area, I think, if she said of the palm, or did she just say the palm? Um, I, I'm, you know what? I sort of fish around, and I know now what area it is because I can feel it. Mm-hmm. I can feel it, the calm thing happen when I, I go there. <laughs> but yeah, what, but what the, exactly but is it? There's a place that I, that I, what I do is I press on a certain area in the palm. And, and when one? you press on that area, it releases so much from your body. So after a few seconds, you feel the calm. So where, where is that place that, 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 that you place said? That place is a little bit near the thumb and the first uh, finger. It's kind of like in between yeah. that area. And it hurts a little bit sometimes when you, when you press on it. Mm. So it, yeah, that's not, where I usually go. Because I, I, sometimes I just fish around, and when I go to that place, it feels best. So I stay there. <laughs> Yeah, very good. And, you know, one thing I do, which really works for me, is the breath. Um, so what happens is, like, if I'm stuck in traffic or something that's just a little bit making me feel uh, anxious, I uh, take a breath in, I hold it for four counts, and then I release it through my mouth, not through my nose. So if a sigh needs to come out, the sigh yeah. comes out. Yeah. And, and then I do it two times, and then the third and fourth time I do it for eight counts. And I hold the breath. I inhale and hold the breath for eight, eight counts, and then I release it, and then I go to 12, and then by the time I'm at 12, I'm completely relaxed, like you've had a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I think that everybody has to fi- find their thing, whether mm-hmm. it is the breathing or the mantra or the, the thumb <laughs> in the palm, uh, but whatever works for you is good. It's okay. It's not wrong. Yes, it's not wrong. There is no, um, there is nothing that is wrong if it doesn't, if it creates a calm in you, then it's, then right. it's fine. 
that it works. So if I go on YouTube, like I'm a big YouTuber and I love like at night when I can't relax, I will pick like some YouTube video like and now I'm going to go look up mantras because I'm I'm so excited about these things. Can you damage yourself with the wrong mantra or if it feels okay, you're okay? Because I always wonder if they're like brainwashing me. Well, number one is I would never recommend doing more than one mantra at a time if you're okay. practicing it. There's two ways of doing mantras. One is like when you're in, with, a, with a group of people, when you're with a group of people and um, you do many mantras. Like they do that a lot in the temples and the mosques and churches. You know, they say different things. That's fine. But if you're practicing a mantra, you should practice that one mantra and not mix it up. And you should... Practice the mantra that resonates and you're ready for it. If you're not ready for it, what we'll do, it will a little bit upset your equilibrium. Okay. Because yeah. sometimes so I, I have so a I would not choose, like if someone is new to mantra practice, I would choose a very simple mantra. I create my own. I do a very simple mantra or a, very, a one like Om, where it's very beautiful. It cannot do any of that. I would not choose a powerful mantra to do before I sleep, like, which evokes energy at nighttime. I wouldn't do that, you know. Um, so I would just be a little bit more uh, mindful. Can you do, can you use like an index card? Because I have a hard time remembering like, oh, Mani Padme, home. like I can't, I have to look at it until I get it. Is that okay? Oh, that's fine. But you know what? You can also uh, go on YouTube and a lot of people have recited the mantras. Got it. And you can just hear them, and you can just do it with them. Okay. Well, I, I'm sorry I've got to cut you off. I'm, thank you so much uh, for being our guest today. You're I want welcome. everybody I to... loved it. You guys, you ladies are wonderful. I loved it. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Our you guest so today has been Mitra Rabar. Her book is Miraculous silence a journey to illumination and healing through prayer you will not be disappointed this is a beautiful book i think it will make a beautiful gift to anyone at any point in their life and uh it's just lovely it's as lovely as the author uh if you guys want to find out more about mitra rabar you can go to voiceofmitra.com that's voiceofmitra.com we'll be back again next week We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and pro-